Romans chapter 10, verses 4 to 21. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those bringing good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Well, listen, it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to pray now and then look at it together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We have to confess that sometimes it is confusing. Sometimes we, we struggle to know what it says. But this morning, Lord God, as we look at your word, Please, Lord, may we submit to it. May we be humble to your message. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word. Because your word is near and your word is living. And Lord God, our greatest prayer this morning is that we would be changed by your word and challenged and encouraged. And so this morning, Father God, may Jesus Christ be glorified in our hearts. May your word dwell in our hearts richly. May we become more like Jesus because of your word this morning. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last time we were in Romans, Josh reminded us of how the Jews of Paul's day 
had been called by the gospel to believe in Jesus, and yet they had stumbled. Basically, that means there was an offense that became an obstacle that prevented them from accepting the good news about Jesus. And the biggest surprise is that the obstacle they were struggling to overcome was Jesus himself. They refused to believe that Jesus is God's Messiah come to save them from their sins by faith in him alone. And that's where our passage this morning picks up the argument. You see, Paul wants his readers not to stumble in the same way. He wants them to see that the gospel of salvation has always been by faith in Jesus alone. As a church, we need to hear this. Because this passage reminds us of the great joy of our salvation. It is a gift from God by faith alone. And this passage moves us on to encourage us to share the gospel message with this world. The word is near. Go and tell people about it. Basically, that's what this, the thrust of this passage is about. And I hope that's an, a challenge and an encouragement to us, a challenge to take the gospel to our world in spite of our tough circumstances, and an encouragement that the gospel is going and growing in spite of how hard it feels. You see, God is gathering people from all over this country and all over our community to believe and trust in his word by his grace and by his sovereign choice. God is working, and we're to take comfort in that. And so the first thing that Paul says in our passage is this, be confident that God's plan has always been by salvation by faith in Jesus. Be confident that God's plan has always been salvation by faith in Jesus. So verses three and four are the starting point of this passage where Paul is talking about his fellow countrymen, the Jewish people. So, so look with me in your Bibles at verse three. It says this, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not sub- submit to God's righteousness. So his fellow Jews had taken the law and turned it into a code to be saved by. It had become a righteousness, a way of being made right with God that they had made. It's doing God your own way, basically. And he follows this sad report with an explanation of what the law was there to do instead. Let me read verse four to you. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. So the purpose of the law was to point to Jesus. That's what he means by culmination of the law. It's like the law is a railway track, and if you follow the direction of the railway track, it will lead you to the end point, the goal. And in the same way, Paul's saying that the law has always pointed to the promise of a righteousness by faith and not works, that Jesus, the Messiah, would win for everyone. Not just, an original, not just a religious elite or a racial elect like the Jews, but for everyone. And what follows verse 4, and this is kind of the tricky bit of this passage, is a tightly worded explanation from the Old Testament that helps us see that Jesus is the culmination of the law. And what Paul does is he picks out Old Testament passages to help us see it. So the first one he goes to 
is from Leviticus 18. And it was one that was often quoted to him by, the Jew, Jew, by, by his fellow Jews trying to prove their point about righteousness by the law. So Leviticus 18 reads this. Moses writes this, uh, uh, sorry, verse 5 of, of Romans 10 says this. M Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. So the Jews of, of Paul's day were saying, this is a proof text. If you keep the law, you'll be considered righteous before God. But Paul's saying, yeah, that's, that just doesn't make sense, does it? Who keeps the law all the time? Point to that person. Show me that perfect person who lives by the law. You're not going to manage that. And then he quotes uh, from, from Deuteronomy 30 in, in verses 6 to 8 to show that actually, you know, the Jews were wrong in their understanding of that verse. And instead, Paul says this in verse 6, but the righteousness that is by faith says this, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. He's quoting a larger passage from Deuteronomy 30 where Moses is pleading with his fellow Jews to see the nearness of God's word and presence and experience and knowledge. And it's just mind-blowing. I'm going to read it um, to you. It's, it's Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 14. There's a, there's a whole shed load of it, but I'm just going to take these few verses. And Moses says this to the whole community. Imagine all the Jews there gathered to hear Moses preach. And this is what he says to the whole Jewish community. Now, what I am commanding you today is not difficult. Not difficult for you, to, uh, to, not difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. It's, it's a moving passage. And the thrust of the Deuteronomy passage is to say this. You don't have to do superhuman things to draw near to God. You don't have to somehow manage the, the superhuman feat of ascending to heaven. You don't have to go on a massive pilgrimage. No, it says the word of God is near you. It's in your hearts, it's in your lives, so you'll speak God's word and it will shape your life and your love, your heart and your mouth. That's the point of verses 6 and 7. That's the point of Deuteronomy 30. And when you look at verses 6 and 7, Paul is saying, Do you know, we know the word of God is Jesus. <laughs> so we don't have to ascend into heaven, do we? Why? Because Christ has come down. Neither do we have to prove ourselves by searching for the word in the deepest depths. No. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus, the word, is near us. If only we open our eyes and our hearts to see that. And that's why he says in verse 9, becoming a Christian is simple. It doesn't involve superhuman effort. 
It doesn't involve massive work, massive pilgrimage, massive law-keeping. It doesn't involve that. It doesn't involve a weekly trip to a confessional box or long pilgrimages. It, it, it doesn't involve being a good person that tricks us into thinking we're right before God. It involves, as verse 9 tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the simplest explanation of what a Christian is. If you believe that Jesus was crucified to forgive us of our sins, that he was buried, and three days later he rose again, if you declare Jesus to be your king and God, so that his lordship shapes you, you will be saved. You will understand what it is for the word to dwell in your heart and shape you. And you will understand what it is to know God personally for yourself. You know, last Sunday morning, we heard Cornell's testimony about how he became a Christian. If you haven't seen the interview with him, well, he told us that as a boy, he believed in Jesus. But he didn't live out what it meant until his late teens. But when those two things came together, Jesus, as he understood to be his savior, and Jesus, as he understood to be his Lord, well, the word came near him. Jesus became the biggest reality that he knew. And that's the testimony of every Christian. Every true Christian trusts in Jesus' salvation and lives, as Jesus, uh, lives with Jesus as Lord over their lives. And if you're not a Christian watching this, then can I challenge you to think through what is it that makes you stumble? What's the blockage that you can't get your head or your life around? Is it the issue of Jesus as Savior? Well, can I ask you to just to go back to basics? Download a Bible on your phone. The, the NIV, New International Version, is the best version for reading uh, the Bible in today's English. And just read through the extraordinary life and death of Jesus for yourself. Read through the book of Luke or Mark or, or both. Read for yourself their eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And then get a Christian friend and take them for a walk. And get them to explain it for you. So that you can fully understand Jesus' claim to be God. It might be that you've accepted all that the Bible has to say about Jesus, but you're still wanting to live your own life. If that's you, then can you take a step back and ask yourself, what is it that shapes you? What is it that motivates you? What is it that defines you right now? It could be family, it could be friends, it could be status, achievements, money, sex, a whole host of other things, but ask yourself, do they fill that inner longing for something greater, bigger, more satisfying, more fulfilling, more validating? Because as Cornell said last week, building our lives on these things doesn't give us purpose and significance. And if they do, it won't last. Family will disappoint. Money can be made and lost in an instant. You can't, take sec, uh, you can't take status for granted, for granted sex, never fulfills achievements, 
will always leave us hungry for the next things, they will not last or satisfy. You see, there's a truth that has never gone away since the dawn of time. And actually, a 6th century English monk by the name of St. Augustine wrote it out as a prayer. And this was his prayer. We were made for you, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, you might not want Jesus as Lord, but till he is your rest, you will be restless and afraid. You will be empty and unsatisfied. But when Jesus is Lord, it's there that we find significance and purpose and rest. Why? Because the truth of our lives, as St. Augustine said, is that we are constantly seeking validation from someone more significant. We're programmed to seek significance and approval of those who, think we, who we think are more important than we are. That, that could be the boss, it could be the person we fancy, it could be our parents, or it could even be a crowd. That, that's why we crave more followers on TikTok or Instagram. We're wanting validation, and numbers don't lie, so it seems. But when Jesus is Lord, he, the King, comes into our lives. He fills us with the love of God. He calls us his children. And that love defines us and shapes who we are. And because of its constancy and because of its magnitude, our weary souls find rest. He validates us. He puts a break on our longing for significance and purpose because he is the highest significance. He is the greatest purpose. And, Jesus, and if Jesus is not Lord for you this morning, then can I challenge you to talk to him and, and tell him that you're sorry, that you're sorry for cutting him out of your life and for ignoring him and treating him so badly. And say to him in your heart, Lord God, I have kept you at such a distance for so long. Please forgive me and draw near to me. And if you're saying that in your heart now, well, after the service, or, or even just press pause, write it down on a piece of paper. If you like, make that a, a physical marker in your life. And tell someone, this morning I said Jesus is Lord. Tell a Christian friend, tell one of the church elders, uh, write an email into the office and just ask us uh, for a walk so we can talk about it, what it means, the significance of it. We'd love to help you to enter into what it means more and more as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, for those of us who are Christians here this morning, we have to keep Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord in balance every day of our lives as well, don't we? On the one hand, we might struggle to live as though Jesus is Lord, and it means that we're, not, we're struggling to take Christ's call to obey seriously. For some of us, it means 
sin is out of control. On the other hand, we might lean towards being self-righteous or legalistic, trusting in our works to make us right with God, not Jesus. And we too have to remind ourselves that Jesus is saviour, not us. And that's a constant tension for each of us to think through. That's why Paul, in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say continue to work at your salvation or on your salvation with fear and trembling. Rather, salvation is something that works out. So we live out Jesus as saviour. In other words, we are free from guilt and we don't try to, 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 to remove the burden of guilt from us. No, we take it to the cross and we seek Christ's forgiveness. And we live out the obedience that Jesus' lordship has called us to. So we don't have to work at Jesus as saviour. We don't have to work at Jesus as Lord. No. We outwork them. These things are already true. And we must let the truth come out of us. So we've seen that being... That, that we can be confident that God's plan has always been salvation by faith in Jesus, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Lord. And the second thing that Paul shows us is that the gospel is for everyone. And that's our second point. The gospel is for everyone, so take it to them. You know, Paul finishes the first section of this passage with a great truth about the gospel, that the gospel is for everyone, regardless of status or race or gender or wealth. This is the greatest truth of the Christian faith. Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's great, isn't it? Simple as that, everyone. Therefore, says Paul, we have a mandate to share Jesus with everyone. Why? Because the church is God's means by which he will share the good news of Jesus with the world. Verse 15 says, we have beautiful feet, not not literally, but just as when we hear good news, sometimes we just want to hug the person who's who's, who's brought that that, that, that news to us. Well, so too are those who carry the good news. We're beautiful because the gospel is amazing news. It's life-changing news. It's beautiful to those who hear it and understand it and receive it. And the church is God's means by which he's chosen to bring his word to the world. Isn't that fantastic? Paul is saying the word is near. The word is near. The word is in you and therefore it is shareable. So look with me at verses 14 and 15. I'm gonna follow the gospel progression backwards in these verses just for the sake of clarity. So verse 15 says the church is sent to the world That is, God calls us into his family and he calls us to take the news to those around us. So then we preach to the world. That doesn't mean we stand in pulpits and become great expositors. It means we tell people about Jesus. We talk to people about him. It's a verse that tells us we can be confident that our purpose in being a Christian is that God uses us to be sent And he gives us the words to say. 
as we bring Jesus into our conversations with our neighbors and friends and family. But if the work of preaching and telling is what we've been called to do, then the work of salvation is God's work alone. So verse 14, as the lost hear God's word, so they will believe and they will cry out to God for salvation. That's God's work. And it's that progression of the gospel that has happened to every Christian around the world. And we're to be confident it's happening now. It's happening with our families and friends who don't know Jesus. It's happening all over the world where Christians know and tell the gospel. And although it might feel like the opposite is happening right now, we just have to reflect over the past couple of years, even in the life of this church, and remember how God has given us opportunities, resources, and grace to share his gospel so that this community and the surrounding areas might know Jesus too. God has sent us to the lost. And they will call on him and be saved. That is his will for us. That's his will for the church worldwide. And we can be confident in that. But thirdly and lastly, let's also remember that people will reject the gospel. So don't be despondent about that. People will reject the gospel. So don't be despondent about that. The last few verses tell the sad story of the people of Israel. They heard the message as God sent his law. They heard the message as he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to preach the gospel to them. But they would not listen. Verse 18 tells us that they did hear the message loud and clear. Let me read verse 18 to you. But I I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Of course they did. Verse 21 tells us they understood the message as well. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. They heard, they understood, but they still refused the generous hand of God offering eternal life. They still rejected the nearness of God's word to them. It reminds me of this story I heard about um, the the great 18th century evangelist, George Whitfield. He was an evangelist who regularly preached to crowds of tens of thousands from all walks of life. And one day it's, it's told that the Duchess of Buckingham was invited to hear him preach. And she turned down the invitation, and her reason was this, and I quote, it's quite tricky, but bear with me. She said this, his doctrines are most repulsive and strongly tinkered with impertinence and disrespect before their superiors, in perpetually endeavoring to level all ranks and do away with all distinction. It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive. You see, just like the Jews in Paul's day, the Duchess of Buckingham had heard the gospel. Not only that, she'd understood it, but she was disobedient to the call of God. 
She was obstinate to the grace that God was holding out to her. The offense, the stumbling block, was that our Savior called her a sinner like the rest of us. And in the same way, many people today will reject God's offer of salvation with the same obstinate heart and with the same intention to disobey. Today, the stumbling block is often cultural. People reject Jesus because they believe Jesus is homophobic or transphobic or extremist. But we're not to be discouraged. We're not to be disheartened. Do you know Whitfield was treated horribly by the crowds of his day? Often they'd throw stones at him. Often he'd ride into a town and there would be an angry crowd to welcome him. Even one of his, uh, his, 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 um, his fellow evangelists was accidentally killed by a crowd as they threw stones at them. But you know, he persevered. He continued to tell people about Jesus. And thousands came to Christ through his ministry. In spite of their obstinacy, in spite of their disobedience, in spite of their determination to silence him, he continued to tell people about Jesus. And in the same way, we have to expect obstinance. We have to expect a culture that keeps on trying to silence the gospel. But let's remember, God has chosen us. And he's called us to tell people about Jesus, to preach. Why? Because his hands are held out all day long to the lost, that they might be found and saved by his powerful grace. That is, that is the love of our God. That is how our God treats this world and how he encourages us to keep going. So let's rejoice. Let's rejoice that our salvation has always been in Christ alone, by faith alone. And let's be persistent to share the gospel with those around us. And let's rejoice that becoming a Christian is simple. To say, Jesus is my savior, I believe that all he has done on the cross was for me. And I believe that he is Lord, that he is Lord, the king, the true king, the true ruler of my life and this world. That is what it is to be a Christian. It's beautifully simple, isn't it? And let's be confident and prayerful in the knowledge that salvation belongs to God. He sends his church with, to use the phrase, beautiful feet, to take the news to those whom God has called and chosen to hear it and to save. And God is constantly, day after day, through his church, by his grace, holding out his hands. And if you're not a Christian this morning, will you believe? Will you accept the gift of the good news that God is holding out to you this morning? And if you are a Christian, 
will turn to our Savior and once more declare with joy in your heart, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is my Lord. I worship him. I'm confident in his purpose for this world that all glory belongs to him. Let me pray and then I'll hand back over to Dan. Oh, dear Father God, we praise you and worship you for this great news that the word is near. Oh, Lord God, we praise you for the truth that it's never been far. The promise of your Savior has, has never left this world. And Father, we praise you for the fact that you have brought your word near to us and that by trusting in Jesus and declaring him as Lord, we can be saved. We thank you for calling us to share Jesus with those around us. We thank you for calling them and holding out your gospel day after day after day to men and women, boys and girls, young and old, rich and poor, everybody, that they too might declare Jesus is my saviour, Jesus is my God, for the glory of the kingdom of God himself. Oh, we praise you, Lord, this morning for your word. May we be encouraged, may we be challenged. May we be changed by your word this morning. And most of all, may we have confidence in your plan to take your word, which is so near to this world. We pray this in your name. Amen.